right. Well, it's good to be back, back in the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews 11 still. We have broken up the chapter uh, that we're in, Hebrews 11, and we're talking about Jesus being worthy of faith. And so each week we have been talking about different patriarchs in the Old Testament, Old Testament heroes. Uh, We've talked about Abel and his faith. We've talked about uh, Enoch and his faith and Noah and Abraham and then even uh, Sarah and her faith. And so as we talk about these different Old Testament heroes, today we continue on in verses 17 through 22. And I want to be careful because it's easy. And I got to stop myself in this a little bit. It's easy when we generically or just generally talk about faith for us to all be filled with hope and to even have faith, but yet we can leave here, if we're not careful, all heading in a million different directions and none of them of God. We can be great men and women of faith and be headed to hell. And so it's what our faith is in that matters. And so especially when we're talking about these Old Testament heroes, because the covenant with Abraham is around material things, okay? It's around uh, land, the promised land. It's about his children, his legacy. They're going to be uh, outnumbering the, the stars in the sky. There's, um, there's tangible blessings on top of spiritual ones that is part of this covenant. And so for us, boy, we live in America. It's easy for us, man. Let's just, let's just leave here talking about these guys with their faith and leave here and just be like, man, God's going to give me all this stuff. And we just, we have to be careful. Our faith is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay. Our faith is in him working as he asks us to make disciples. And we're on mission, not just for him, but uh, with him and in him. And so our faith isn't just a general faith, and we have to be careful. So my, my hope for us, my prayer for us, is that when we hear these stories of faith, that we understand living under the new covenant now, what this looks like for us in the spiritual realm, that we leave here excited, that we leave here uh, ready to live radically for Christ and what we know he's called us to do. So this isn't about what we can get. This is about uh, as we die to ourselves and follow him, uh, that we will see him fulfill what he desires in our lives. So it's going to be good stuff, and I hope that uh, nights like tonight help us all to start some God stories, to come back here and to know, you know what? I, uh, I was unsure of the step of faith that I was going to take, and I, and I heard God's word, and I took that step of faith, and God did what only God can do for his glory, not for mine. Those are God stories where his power shows up in ways that only his power can show up. So um, I'm going to trust that God's going to do some stuff in us tonight that's going to lead to bringing him glory. So let's jump on in. Hebrews chapter 11, again, verses 17 through 22. We're going to park three times tonight. We're going to talk about uh, four different Old Testament heroes, and we're going to kick it off with Abraham again. So if you've got a Bible, we'll start in verse 17 and knock out the first couple few verses here. The author says, By faith, Abraham, so remember all of these stories, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
All right, first thing we're going to park on is that our faith will be tested. So uh, you've got to imagine, you've got, we talked about Abraham a little bit last time. You've got to imagine that Abraham is thoroughly confused when God asks him to offer up his son, Isaac. The one who, the promise of generations and generations and generations, that's coming through Isaac. And God says, no, I want you to kill it. I want you to kill it. So Abraham, remember, he gets this promise from God. You're going to have this covenant, and, and so he's going to have these people that spread throughout the earth. And, and at that point, he's 100 years, he's, he's in a, around 75. Um, Sarah's younger. By the time this comes to fruition, Sarah's like 90, and Abraham, he is 100. So they wait 25 years for this to take place. It finally takes place, and you've got to think, man, this is awesome. It happened. I can't believe it happened. It's awesome. And, and then so now it's all easy, right? So the promise of Isaac comes, and we know, you can assume Abraham's thinking, man, ain't nothing going to happen to Isaac. I don't have to worry about him getting in a car crash, right? I ain't got to worry about him getting kicked off his camel while we're going down the street, and he dies from a head injury at like the age of four. Like, it ain't happening. God's going to take care of Isaac. Isaac grows up in a young man, and God says, I want you to go up on that mountain, which was many days away, so he had a lot of time to think, and I want you to kill him. I want you to burn him. And Abraham does it. Incredibly confused, if it was me. Like, I, I wouldn't even know what to think. And yet, that's what God asks. You see, we look at it as an anomaly for God to test us in our faith. All through scripture, we see we do not test God, but God will test us. And yet when he tests our faith, we think somehow we screwed up, we messed up, or something's gone wrong. Why would God be testing me, right? But God wants to, and he has to, because he's always wanting to get to our hearts. Even though he knows our heart, he wants it revealed so that we know our heart. And so he's always going to make you confused and frustrated at times in an attempt to show and expose any idols that we have. There's a couple things I think God is always looking for in us. And so when our faith is tested, these things are going to show. I think the very first one, the question we have to ask ourselves when our faith is tested, is something God wants to see. Do we love the promises of God more than God himself? Do we love the promises, the gifts, tangible or not, more than God himself? You see, we, we, we should know by now, and I hope we do know, and if not, I'll, I'll just say, the, the, the best promise that we have, the best gift is God himself, right? Like, this is the new covenant. This is the beauty of it. It's not just heaven. It's not just life abundant here as if he's going to give us tangible. No, there's no promise of tangible blessing. It's abiding in Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's obedience to the Lord. That's life. And so he wants to know if we love the things that he might give us at any point now or in the future more than him in and of himself. I read an article over Thanksgiving um, or the day before Thanksgiving from Paul Tripp called, uh, entitled, Are We Too Thankful? And of course the, the title intrigues you and so you start reading it and the idea of the article was that we all typically find ourselves pretty thankful on Thanksgiving, right? 
Like, it doesn't take that much. If you live in America, you got lots to be thankful for just tangibly. And so if you go see family, friends, even if you're not with family, friends, but someone invites you over uh, for a dinner, like you got food, you got football going on, you got uh, a warm house, you got people around you, like that, there's just so much to be thankful. You got to work hard to not be thankful. So we got that. That's not that hard. But would we be as thankful if those things started to disappear? Like, is the comfort and the security that we find in those things in and of themselves? Or, like, are we truly thankful because we got Jesus? For we got, I love family, love friends, love the turkey and stuffing. But are we most thankful for access to the throne? Are we most thankful for God himself? And how sometimes our thankfulness shows that we're just really just caught up in what he's given us. And not as much caught up in him. As a heart check. Man, when I was approached about taking this job, I, uh, I didn't have any interest in it really at all. Um, we were planting a church in Nebraska. And uh, we were just, man, we were seeing some spiritual breakthroughs. And we just had no intention of leaving. We settled down there. We bought a house. And, and we're just here to stay. And then God prompted us, and he started moving in a way that only he can, and we started to, to realize pretty, pretty quickly and clear that uh, this was of God and that w- it was going to happen. And so we started to process um, what it would be like to, to be a campus pastor here. Um, it would be just a completely different ballgame than what we were currently doing. And I'll be honest, one of the things that I loved the most was a young man that I'd worked with in the past. He was our YouTube worship leader and all of our other church plants. But I was excited to be hand-in-hand partnering with Jason. I mean, anyone who's been around him knows God has given the young man gobs of talent and a wonderful heart. Oh, boy, knows the Bible theologically sound. We, we clicked. We, had, we flew him out several times to Utah just to do concerts and just to, just to be with the people. We've had a long-standing relationship, and so we didn't move here because we thought we'd work with him. Just like we don't, we don't move here for anything other than God saying, "I want you to go." But man, I ain't gonna lie; it was a perk that I was looking forward to. I also knew, just like with any of us, man, if God can call me to get up and go, He can call Jason to at any given time. So you don't ever, you don't, you don't put your hope in man, or even the plans of God. You just put your hope in God, knowing His plans are good. And so it's a great thing <laughs> in some ways when God says, young man, go down to Texas, and all of a sudden I'm sitting here for the last 10 months enjoying my job more than I ever have because I don't have to worry about some of this stuff. Like He, just, he can do it well, and, and I, just, I just get to work hand in hand, and it's nice. But man, you find out real quick when God comes knocking on someone's heart and all of a sudden it goes from, this is a congregation who enjoys the gifts and this young man and his family to, do we idolize him? Do we love it a little bit too much? You see, you can hang around people who follow Jesus all late long and you can feel spiritually filled up and you can coast and ride on their gifts and talents and just what they do, they pour into you. It's great. But when the ball drops, one of them leaves, all of a sudden you find out real quick, were you abiding in them or were you abiding in Jesus? 
Now, it should hurt because when a friendship, when, when someone leaves like that, like we, we, we love, we have friendships, and that's deep, and there's going to be a void that's left. But if that void is a little bit deeper than you know it should be, you might have put someone on a pedestal. And so as a shepherd, like in my own life, it doesn't feel good, but even for us as a church, I would rather, <laughs> I would rather as a church to have things like that happen to where we all have to have a heart check. We all have to be checking, like, what, do, what are we really doing this for? Like, do we, do we enjoy being a part of this family and worshiping God? Because nothing in God's book, with God, nothing has changed. But for us, it just feels like everything's changed. No idols were just exposed. That's what hurts so much. And so I know that for most people, they just want to get through stuff like this. They don't want to transition and get to the other side. Listen, I love it when sheep are led to green pastures and they can lie down. Oh, man, the Psalms come true. It's great. But I also love it when we're headed up the other side of a muddy bank and we see that slop flying off our feet. I love it. Because we exist to glorify God. And if we got any kind of idolatry, it's got to get called out so it can be repented of. And so God in his sovereignty knows this is healthy stuff. This is good stuff for our hearts. Because it always points us back to him. And so Abraham, he's going to offer up his son. And God's going to find out. You got your son. You got the promise right in front of you. Do you love the promise more than you love me? Are you willing to kill it? I think the second question, I think the second thing that God wants to know in this is whether or not we trust God's power more than the tangible gift in front of us. Like, you know, you got kids, you got family, you got friends, you got people brought into your life, and you're thankful, and you'll say to yourself or say to others, it's God's gift that they were given. But the thought of them passing away, the thought of them leaving, the thought of them somehow not being anymore, like, there's something, there's doubt that creeps up. Like, there's no way that could be filled again. So we'll say on one hand, one breath, we'll say, this is God, he gave it. It was God's power. But then on the other hand, we're scared to death because we think if it's gone, we lost everything. Start hearing people say, man, if it wasn't for my kids, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for my spouse, I don't know what I would do. Well, if God gave you that, can't he still have power? Like his power didn't stop. Or do we really believe that it was God that gave it in the first place? So we're so scared if it ever gets taken away. So God wants to test us. He wants to check out our faith to see if we really trust his power more than the tangible gift. And this is what I love because you've got, like, I don't know exactly what was happening with Abraham and Sarah, but you've got to believe. They didn't just see the birth of Isaac and, and think, this is amazing, you guys. You knew we were barren. You knew this wasn't going to happen. It's awesome. And then they just start holding on to Isaac and just walking with him and trying to protect him. You knew that that can't be the way that Abraham looks at his son. But he's looking at his son saying, that's the power of God. That's the power of God. And if you have that perspective, all of a sudden, when you see the gifts that God has given, you see God's power in them and not just the gifts themselves. And so you rely and you have, you have a perspective of the power and not just the promise, not just the gift. This is huge. This is huge. 
Because God wants us to be focused on his power. I love this, I love this passage because if you're anything like me you, and you're reading this story in Genesis and you think, why in the world would Abraham, why would he sacrifice his son? Okay, first one, because we've all been to Sunday school, he's just obedient, right? Just, just, just wants to be obedient to God. True? If you're like me, then you think, okay, why else would he? Well, let's be honest. Like deep down, we think, didn't Abraham probably believe deep down that at the last second, right before he kills his boy, God's going to stop him? Like he's not really going to let his boy be killed. So we just justify in our mind. That's why he was obedient, because he thought he was going to get bailed out. And this first, the author of Hebrews is like, nope, that ain't what happened. Now, we talk about resurrection in different contexts because we Jesus resurrected. We, do, we heard even stories of a, a Lazarus, even though that was more of a resuscitation because he died again. But, but there, we have stories, and we understand Abraham, he's back in the day. He don't have a whole bunch of Lazarus stories that we know of. So his theology on resurrection probably isn't, like, mind-blowing, okay? And yet, <laughs> the author of Hebrews says he was obedient, because he knew God said the promise comes through Isaac, and if he's now telling me to kill Isaac, he's going to raise Isaac from the dead. Although you know he probably did not see people resurrected from the dead all the time. And yet he was believed, like he was willing to go all the way and to kill the promise because he thought God can resurrect this promise. God's still going to hold true. Like somehow, some way, it's going to hold true. Man, he had a perspective of resurrection. He viewed the power differently than many of us do. This is great because you and I, we've got to have a gospel perspective. We've got to have a resurrection perspective on things because I know in your life there are things that are dead, things that have laid down. You, man, you cash them in. You just, they're, they're done. It's over. And there's nothing because God is the God of both the living and the dead. There's nothing that can't be resurrected for his glory. Like nothing is dead until God says it's over. Believers have that. Again, this isn't for our own personal gain. This isn't, well, I had a dream that the business was going to last and it didn't. And I'm going to trust God's going to resurrect. No, it's for his glory. So whatever his will is, that's what we're trusting. It's going to be done. But you look, at, you look at John chapter 20, the resurrection. Man, you, you got Mary. She sees the tomb. It's open. She runs back. She gets Peter and John. They sprint ahead, and they look, and they're like, yep, we pick up the clothes, the cloth. Jesus ain't here. And what do they do? They turn around, and they walk back to the house, it says. But Mary, she still stays there, okay? She, stays, she doesn't walk back to the house. She stays there, and it says that she wept. She wept at the tomb. And then after she wept, what did she do? She, she, she wept, and it says that she peered over into the tomb. you got a picture. She sees this, and she's like, what happened? She's crying, but she's pondering God's plan and what's happening, looking for the resurrection. And who, then, do the angels and then Jesus show up to? The boys running down the street or her first? The one who's crying but pondering God's plan in the midst of death. The other two chalk it up as soldiers did something. Some but Jews probably did something. Body's gone. Let's go back and eat breakfast and talk about it. 
She's pondering. She's looking. She's like, I know there was death, and I don't. But what happened, God? I'm telling you what. Some of us are in that place. Some of us are in that place tonight where it seems like something has died. It's a relationship. It seems like we've said the wrong thing one too many times. It, it, something has died, and we're sitting there thinking, when it comes to earthly circumstances, all signs point to this being dead. And God's saying, are you looking, are you looking through the lens of the resurrection? That for my glory... I'm going to let some things die just so I can raise them again. Do you have that perspective? Because believers don't walk around saying, if it died on earth, it's all dead, it's over. No, believers live with the understanding of the resurrection and everything we do and see. And we're not held down by earthly things. We might weep a little bit, but we're looking inside the tomb. Because we know God's plan, purpose, and glory extend whatever earth shows us. Some of you say, I know we're parking here. That's all right. God's telling you to do something right now. He's saying, hey, I want you to confront that coworker. I want you to confront your family member about that sin. And you're thinking, this ain't going to be good. Some of us I've been prompted as we talk on Sundays about sharing our faith over Thanksgiving and over Christmas, and we're thinking to ourselves, I know God's telling me to share my testimony with my family, but they're not believers, and if I share it, I know we've argued in the past, this ain't going to be good. Some of it, you know, God's asking you to do something, and according to just the way that our circumstances always turn out, like, this ain't going to be good. But God's saying, keep on walking and obey anyway. Because faith comes face to face with death and says, Jesus is still Jesus. God's still God. He's going to do what he wants to do. He resurrects stuff. Next couple verses. Two more patriarchs. So Abraham, he dies. Isaac, he didn't get chopped up. That's good. He's still alive here. Verse 20 says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. All right. Second thing we see is faith in the midst of drama. Faith in the midst of sin. Okay, so we've got two guys here, and I'm going to combine these two together here because they go hand in hand. So let's, let's, go, let's go back here. And let's do some context. Okay, we got in this society, this patriarchal society, uh, a father's blessing for his children is a big deal. So he's going to bless his firstborn son. He's going to give him land. He's gonna, the bulk of inheritance is going to that. Like you want to be the firstborn son in this society. So he has his dad entrust him with all this stuff. Abraham's like, man, the promise is going to live through you. And God talked to Abraham about it. God then shows up to Isaac and says, same stuff for your dad. It's going to happen through you. It's great. But then Isaac's an old man. He's like 60 years old. And he marries Rebecca. And she's barren. And he finds himself in the same position his mom and pa were. Hey, can't have kids late in life. So we got to trust. And so he's okay, let's trust. And so she gets pregnant. But these little babies, she got two babies inside of her. And they're fighting. They're going crazy inside, and they're kicking and punching, and, and Rebecca's like, something's got to give. 
What's going on, God? And he says, <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you about what's happening in your belly right now. It's not just indigestion, but you got two nations in there. Two nations? What are you talking about? This doesn't sound good. Two nations, uh, and, and not only two nations, but the younger is, is going to actually rule over the older. Oh, this ain't good. In our society, this ain't a good thing. But she has those little babies. And so Esau, he's a hairy old boy. He comes out first, and Jacob, remember, grasping the heel. He comes out second, and so then they grow up. Now Esau, he's a hunter. He's a fisher guy. Man, he's, a, he, he's just a man's man. And so, so Isaac loves him. He loves eating his food. He loves eating his game. Like he loves Esau. And Jacob, he's a, he just lives in a tent, hangs out with his mom. It says Rebecca loved Jacob. But you got to think, Isaac, he, he's sitting there thinking this whole time, all right, I'm getting old, I'm going to have to bless him soon, um, and, and I don't know how this all is going to play out. And then he says, as he becomes blind and he can't see very well, he, he, he calls in Esau, and he says, I want you to go out and get some food, I want one last meal, and I'm going to bless you. And so Rebecca overhears and tells Jacob, you got to go in, you got to do something, you got to get the blessing, because I know what God told me about the younger uh, ruling over the older, and you're the younger, we got to do this. And so he says, all right, let's do something, and he puts together some uh, some fur on him and wears a, a sheepskin or whatever and he comes in and, and, and <laughs> Isaac's like this don't feel right you sound like my one boy but you feel like my other boy um, uh, what do I do okay I'm just going to go ahead and bless you anyway so he does it and this isn't like Christianity in America, this is in 2015 where our yes is whatever and our no is what a no, yes is a yes and a no is a no and when he blesses, he, he, he blesses even if it's to the wrong one but he blesses everything the firstborn should get, he gets it. Up until this, you know the whole selling the birthright thing. Neither Jacob or Esau have shown themselves to be worthy of the promises of God. But <laughs> Isaac blesses him anyway. So Esau comes in after that, and he freaks out. because He's like, what did you do? What happened? And, and, and of course, Isaac is like, I, I don't know what happened. This is crazy. You've got to think there was great confusion happening at that point. Fast forward down the line, Jacob, as he gets older, he's got a bunch of boys. Most of them want to kill the youngest, Joseph. Joseph, he's the runt, but he loves him, and he gets cast off into Egypt. And so Jacob, he's got a crazy life thinking Joseph, his son now, is dead, and he's not. He's in Egypt. He's working for the Pharaoh. He raises him up. Everything's going good. Before you know it, Jacob's whole family has to come and talk to him, and it's revealed, and they all cry, wah, wah, wah. And before you know it, now Jacob restored with Joseph. Now, in all the family drama that's happened, is going to bless his sons. And so Joseph comes in and says, I got two sons. I got Manasseh and I got Ephraim. And I want you to bless them. And he says, who are these? Okay, I'll bless them anyway. And he's got, he's got to say, here, the future promise, it's going to go through you. And he puts one hand here and one hand here. And Joseph's like, no, this is the older. You put your hand on the older. And he says, nope, just like you, my boy, the younger will rule over the older. And he blesses him. Joseph got ticked. But he did it anyway. All right, what do we learn from all that? We learn that there's a whole bunch of there's there's a whole bunch of family drama, and yet there's still the faith of these two patriarchs. And why did they have faith? What was the faith? The faith was that Abraham's dead, and they don't currently possess what they're promising to these kids. They're still not in the promised land. They still don't have this. It's one thing if God, like, very specifically to you, like, boom, this is what's happening to you. This is your promise. Abraham, he's dead. So you're kind of carrying a torch that you felt insecure to carry to begin with, and now you're going to pass it down? And none of these people you're passing it down to have shown signs of being worthy of it. 
and it's drama, drama, drama. And yet they still in faith say, I trust God's promises will come through you. It's crazy circumstances. I remember when I first came to, to Utah, <laughs> from my first sermon on, I would preach in this, this place that was um, just, just a broken place. And we would have sometimes 10, 15 people come to a worship service, which in, in Utah was almost a mega church. But for what we were used to was not anywhere close to a mega church. It was just on the verge of cult. And so uh, we, uh, <laughs> which I don't know what this would be, if that's, never mind. Um, and I remember so often people would come in beat up because they knew the drugs, the alcohol abuse, the suicide, the murder in this little town. All this was taking place on a regular basis. And I remember I would preach on Sunday morning. I'd talk about how God's going to save the city. He's going to save a whole bunch of people. He's going to do amazing work. And I was convinced of it as I pray, as I talk to God. Like it was the conviction of those things that led us to move out there. If we didn't believe God was going to do what only God can do, what his word says he wants to do, then like we wouldn't have never come out there. And yet we're preaching this to people and all they're seeing is sin abounding everywhere. And they're looking at me like, yeah, I'm sure it's going to happen. But it's hard sometimes to proclaim in the midst of a bunch of junk that God's word is still God's word. And what God wants to do, and it's good, is going to happen. <coughs> I got to believe some of us feel like we're in a little bit of that mess right now. Maybe over Thanksgiving, some family drama got revealed, or maybe it just stayed the same. Maybe it's always been that way. And we feel like each day our faith is dwindling a little bit more. And we've thought things are going to get better. My family, my friends, they're going to get saved. I'm trying to make disciples. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. And it just feels like things are staying the same. Maybe even for some of us, backtracking. Maybe we feel like the spiritual condition of our homes are getting worse. Maybe at one point we're like, hey, the hope is that I haven't had a conversation yet with this person about Jesus. And then you do and they reject it and you're thinking, it feels like we're one step forward, two steps back with this whole thing. And it just seems to get worse. And in the midst of that, our faith dwindles because when you're in the midst of drama, when you're in the midst of sin, if you find yourself responding out of guilt and condemnation, your faith will always be dampened. If it's not conviction, if it's not of God, but if the enemy gets in there and says, you know what, your circumstances are so jacked up that God will never right the ship. And you just feel worse and worse about who you are and what's going on. then yeah, it makes sense that faith is dampened. If you find yourself letting the circumstances of the junk around you influence your faith, then yeah, it makes sense that your faith is dampened. Because this earth will always point to itself. This world points to itself. But faith is that in the midst of our crazy circumstances, we still trust God's word as God's word. And we, and we, even though we can't see some of the promises God has fulfilled right now, we stand as the influencers and we're going to influence the world, not the other way around. 
And if that's the case for you, you'll find your faith is strengthened. Because it's always strengthened when God's word is influencing it. And if not, then obviously it ain't going to be strengthened. Some of you might feel like both Isaac and Jacob. Maybe you feel like you've been lied to. That drama just gets worse. I'm telling you, the greatest deceit is, again, that God can't redeem your situation, that he can't redeem what's going on, that he can't save you or your family, that he can't use you because you just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over, and you sit in that lie. I'll tell you what, when we came out to Utah, we had a grand vision of a church that plants churches, Man, we, we, we had talked about where we're going to send people off. And, man, we prayed, and we thought we we're doing what God wants us to do. And, man, we're going to plant in Salt Lake City. We're going to plant all over the place. People are going to get saved. It's going to be amazing. We were convinced that's what God wanted. And so this is the vision we're casting to the people. And we went from zero to 60 real fast, literally 60 people. And yet it felt like there was just not much in the way of spiritual maturity. We were lacking leaders. But yet there's one family who had come from, uh, from down south. And, and they were unique because they, they didn't grow up in Utah. And, and so they, they, they were used to scripture. They were used to what it looks like to follow God in America. And, and so we had poured into them and this family became pretty close with us. And I took the, the man who was um, quite a bit older than me, and I trained him. I remember we would meet we'd meet weekly, if not many times, each week, and I would train him, and we'd just go through books of the Bible, and, and I remember walking through the story with him, and just teaching him the Bible, and I taught him how to preach, and like we had talked for almost a year, we had talked, like, man, we're putting all of our hopes <laughs> in multiplying on this guy right now. Man, we hoped, we thought, man, God's calling him maybe to plant a church, and that's when he was leading us to believe that maybe he could be a pastor, and he preached one week, and it was good, and, you know, one of those deals where your family comes, and they, oh, we're so excited, and then they kind of fall off the map, and it's like, you know, the climax of the faith, you preach a sermon, and then and it's like, okay, that's it, and that was kind of the story with them, and, but I kept pouring into him, kept pouring into him, and I remember uh, then our relationship somehow, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on, but it started to sour a little bit, and it was, it was bad because we, I mean, we, we were reaching for leaders, we were reaching for friends, for close people, we just felt so lonely out there. And I remember even when I would preach, and they would be sitting down here, and they would be looking at me, him and his wife. I remember it was all, they couldn't even stand listening to me preach. I could just see it in their eyes. I just, uh, something's not going right. And week after week, something's not. I talked to him. Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Until finally they stopped showing up. And you start hearing rumors about things. So they, they meet me over at the McDonald's one day. And I say, what's going on? They say, we're leaving the church. It's like, what? How did this happen? And they list off a laundry list of offenses they had against me. Many of them were cultural. They grew up in a different culture where they viewed family different. Family to them is we hang out all the time and we do everything together. Family for a Caucasian guy in the Midwest is, hey, if I see you at church, your family, that's great, once every three weeks. So we were just not on the same page for, with some cultural expectations and, and whatnot. And, and, and then the different things they had. Well, we thought you looked at us wrong this one time. And, like, and we addressed each one. And I was like, you know, this is silly. I want to justify your feelings and behaviors. But like, let's walk through this. I want to repent of sin. And they knew, even when I, I asked them, I said, it seems like the devil has got in here and convinced you guys to hate me. 
Why didn't we work this out as each thing happened? And he said, yeah, we, we think we listened to the devil a little bit. I was like, what are, you, what, are you, what are we doing? What are we talking about? And I remember those weeks were heartbreaking for Tara and I because we would come home and at the same time, we still feel like God's calling us to plant churches and to send out missionaries. And now it is looking as bleak as it ever has before. Man, it was, it was hard. We felt like we were backtracking. Well, we ended up planting another church. And in that, I remember a young man coming up. He's now the pastor. He moved up there, and it seems like he wants to plant a church, and it's be good. And I remember I was so hesitant because I was like, God, I know how this works. I'm going to pour into him. He's going to, you know, something's going to happen. And we're going to go through that same heartbreak. That situation in Utah, I could tell you story after story after story, crazy stories, all kinds of stuff. Nothing hurt us and my family and ministry more than that, to have a falling out with other leaders. Like, it was heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking. When you're in the midst of drama with those closest to you, it is hard to have faith that God's going to do what God said he's going to do. But Isaac and Jacob did. Maybe you feel like you're ready to give up on somebody. Maybe you saw that family member over the weekend and you thought, you know what? I am sick and tired of how you all act and what you do. And I've been praying for you for a long time and I'm just done. I'm going to wipe my hands of it. I'm done. You still trust that God's going to do what only God can do. Uh, that coworker we talked to, and then we kind of had a falling out, and now we don't talk hardly at all. I'm just going to give up on him. No. God wants to save people. You still have faith. You still keep on walking. i got to believe some of us got some drama going on right now, and our faith can either sink or swim, and it needs to be strengthened, but it's only strengthened when we stand on the word of God. Last but not least, verse 22, it says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Last thing we see is faith and future fulfillment. Meaning, what we have faith in now isn't fulfilled right now, but in the future. So where's the faith here? You've got to think, uh, oh man, more than ever, you've got to think that the promises of God are, are as far away and distant as ever. We talk about backtracking. Man, at least Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were moving in the direction to some degree of the promised land. They were seeing their offspring. Okay, we're gaining ground, a little bit of steam. Okay, it's going to take a while to populate this whole, this whole place, but it, it was, it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, Joseph, he's backtracking. He's in Egypt. He ain't even close to the promised land. And not only that, but his kids hadn't had God visit them yet in the same way that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had, reaffirming the promise. They'd all had this common thread of God showing up and saying, I just want to remind you of the promise. It's going to happen through you. And yet, Joseph's kids hadn't had that yet. And so it's as far away as ever. 
And yet he's still trusting. He's still trusting. And so he says, man, there's going to be 400 years is what we know it as. But he mentions the exodus. And he says here, I'm going to die and I want my bones to be taken to the promised land. Ain't no awesome patriarch stories for a while. 400 years of slavery. And yet he's still proclaiming the promise, knowing there's going to be a long journey between where we are right now and this promised land. It has got to be looking bleak. Some of us got to feel like we're in Egypt right now. We felt like we were moving to the promised land, and right now we feel like we are further away from where we should be with God. And I've been following him for a while, and I was obedient for a while, and I was struggling with sin, but I've just slipped back into some old ways, some old ways of thinking and acting and behaving. And it feels like I'm further than I ever was before. Promises are still promises. God's still God. Maybe you feel like things are more hollow and scary in your walk of faith right now as they ever have been. When you gather with believers, you feel guilty because you think I should be so much further along than where. Listen, if you compare your walk with Jesus to how everyone else is doing, you're going to feel guilt and shame all the rest of your days. God has a pace for your life. He wants obedience, but he ain't giving up on you. And for a lot of us, when it comes to this plan, we say, okay, we can have faith. Okay, that God's not done with us. He's going to do something. But faith, listen, the comfort in our faith, it's not just in knowing what's around the corner. It's in Christ himself. It's knowing that right now, no matter how crazy, no matter how far off the promises feel, no matter what is happening, that right now, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, that every single one of us in this room right now can obey God's will. We don't have to wait until we get cleaned up a little bit until things shift a little bit at work, or family comes around, right now we have the opportunity to obey God's will. Right now we get the promises. We don't have to wait for a promised land. We have the promises. We have access to the throne of God. We live in the new covenant. No matter how much guilt or shame you feel, it can be gone as Christ takes it. Like that should give us a hope, man, that most people in mankind have never felt before knowing that these promises are not something that we just got to wait for. Some, Jesus coming back, obviously. But the gist of the gospel is in our hands right now. We always want to know what's right around the corner, though. And we take comfort in knowing that. If God would just reveal to me a little bit, oh, I'll tell what you would, mm, you'll drive yourself crazy. Six years ago, five years ago, when Tara and I moved here, when we helped to start this thing, I lived unsettled. The people around me knew that God was calling me into full-time ministry, that he'd maybe gifted me to teach a little bit. On Saturday nights out at Webster, we were, uh, we were part of the church plant, but on Sunday mornings often we'd drive up to a little tiny Baptist church in Clay Center, Kansas. And for some crazy reason, they let me cut my teeth preaching a little bit there. And Tara and I knew, like, God's stirring us for something more than what's happening here. Like, I, I had a hard time being in our staff meetings. I had a hard time because I knew, like, God's calling me to something else, and I'm just having a hard time being where I am right now. I just want the next stage to be now. 
and drive yourself crazy waiting for the next stage. And so I got the next stage, and we got it in a hurry. And we went out to Virginia, and things were crazy, and it was awesome, wonderful. And then you know the stories of Utah and Nebraska. And within five years, we are back here. Like, well, that was the craziest thing for Tara and I when we thought about coming back here was, this is, it sounds like what has happened in five years is a lifetime for many people. Well, yeah, we went off for 20 years here and 10 there and then another 15. And about 50 years, well, we came full circle in five years. In five years, we're back here. It's like, God, it feels like we're retiring or something. Like 30. Like the journey's just getting started. And I find myself still. I think about the future. I think about the future of this church. And I get excited. I'm like, oh, man, God's doing something. And I just I want to know the next steps. And I want to know the next phase. And I can find myself sometimes getting a little bit unsettled. And it's like, okay, let's just let's jump into the next thing. It's going to be good. Let's look into Let's do this. And he's got to remind me, Ryan, did you not learn your lesson five years ago? When you drove yourself crazy mentally, always looking for what's around the corner. When I told you every day, every day, you have the promise, you have access to the throne, and you can abide in me today. Stop waiting for something right around the corner as if it's your Savior. Your Savior is here. I'll tell you what, there's freedom in that. Ooh, you can take a little breath. Say, right now, forget about how crazy today is. Forget about what happened yesterday. Forget about what I did that they don't even know about. They would Forget about all of it. Like, right now, I got faith that I got the promises. I got the new covenant. I got access to the Father. I've got the Son, and I can live in Him. I can abide in Him. I can obey. I can rejoice. I can praise. I can worship. I can grow. I got it. I got it right now today. I don't need something else to push me in the right. I just got it today. I just got it today. You see, Joseph's faith isn't just that God's going to fulfill his promises in the future. His faith is shown in that he gave instructions today about his bones. It's one thing to say, hey, listen, I believe in the future things are going to happen. We could all give lip service to that. But it takes a man to stand up and say, now, as for my bones, I want you to carry them on over here because that's where we're headed. And this is what it looks like. The faith comes in not just knowing God's going to fulfill it in the future. The faith comes in what you and I do today in preparation because we're moving in that direction. Like that's where your faith becomes real. That's where it changes. And lo and behold, in Exodus 13, Joshua 24, 400 years later, Moses, after all that slavery, gathers up some bones And Joshua, as he comes into the promised land, buries him. 400 years is fulfilled. I'll tell you what, I think we need in our families, I think in our church, I think we need a renewed faith tonight. And some things that feel like they are in the distance Some things that feel like, man, we can't get to right now because life is messy and muddy and it just doesn't feel right. I'm telling you what, we we need this Christmas season if we want to see some revival, if we want some God stories to happen. We need to be like some little kids who got some renewed 
simple faith that God's going to do in this city what only God can do. Like, that's the way I want to live. I could, I could spend my whole life making excuses for my lack of faith. I could guilt myself and shame myself into thinking, man, God can't use me, ain't going to do it. Like, look at me, I'm not perfect, I'm not, no. We, when we have our faith in Jesus and the gospel and his perfection and his righteousness and it covering us, and I'm telling you what, this is the difference between seeing revival and not, is a group of people that fall on their knees and have faith. That even though maybe right now we don't see it, we've all, some of you, you've been part of churches in Salina for a long time praying for revival for this city. And it gets so, just so common and used to just thinking, man, there's revival. I'm telling you what, what is stopping us from believing tonight? What's stopping us from living tonight and as we interact with people and trusting God's going to do, not for our glory, I don't care about this church's name and whether it somehow gets a bunch of people, I'm talking just God saving people and changing lives. We always, I don't care if i got to preach a sermon every day to us and to myself twice as much. We always, we got to walk as a people who believe that God's going to do what only God can do, and not just in the future, but today. When you start believing that, it's going to change the way you walk. It's going to change the way you think. And it starts with a group of people who even though we know there could be 400 years of bondage, that in the gospel, you and I don't have to live that way tonight. And that we let some chains break off. And when revival happens in our own hearts, and faith that it's going to happen in others, the Holy Spirit spreads it. I don't know about y'all, but I want to be a part of a church who believes like that, who experiences that. There is freedom in faith when your faith is in the right thing. And Jesus is worthy of that faith. Does any of you know what I'm talking about tonight? Jesus is worthy of this faith. Let's pray.